Thanks, Teresa. Good morning, guys. I know that this is the church service with all the spiritual giants because you gave up. The Seahawks came to be here. So thanks. Or some of you, actually, you normally come to the 11 o'clock service. I, <laughs> so you're here so you can make sure you have time at home and time to watch it. But I'm glad you're here nonetheless. You know, it's been a tough week um, across our country. And I've talked to several of you, uh, emailed with lots of you this last week. It's been a tough week for lots of you as well. Uh, two African-Americans got killed outside of Kroger. Uh, pipe bombs being sent, uh, multiple ones. Uh, 11 people killed in a synagogue uh, yesterday. It's a dark, dark time for so many. And I, it breaks my heart. It truly does. And the amount of hate in our country still is something that uh, you know this, but I'm just going to say it. Jesus is the answer, guys. The love of God changes hearts and it changes lives. And that's why we do what we do. But I'm aware, too, that lots of you, many of you, um, have experienced in times past, or maybe you're dealing with it right now, a lot of self-hate as well. Things that you uh, have done, things that you've experienced have, have made you uh, broken and uh, maybe even angry about life or angry at God. I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever messed anything up so bad that you thought there's no hope of ever seeing this repaired? Or maybe you've done something or uh, saw a dream get shattered or relationship shattered, or something happened, you thought, it's just too late. There's no way of getting around this. No way this can ever be restored or renewed. Today, we're going to talk about how to see hope restored when hope is shattered. We'll be in John chapter 21. If you've got your Bible, your Bible app, open up to John 21. We'll get there just a bit. But here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to leave with today. Here's my hope and prayer for you, is that you'll walk out with this burned into your soul today. No matter what you've done, Jesus' specialty is redemption, restoration, and renewal. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at right now or where you've been in your past, the specialty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, is redemption, restoration, and renewal. He takes messes like us. He takes situations that we've created. He takes situations that we didn't create but have been sinned against us, things that have happened to us, and God says, surrender that to me, and I can make that new. I can do something. I can bring hope even into that darkest moment of your life. And so how? How do we get there? Well, let's pick it up in John chapter 21. I want to read one of my favorite stories. I've taught from this passage over the years probably several times because it is something I constantly come back to in my personal life. This is a story of Peter being restored by Jesus. John 21, I'm reading from the Passion Translation because I can and I like it, but I'll just read it to you this morning. Listen carefully. Later, Jesus appeared once again to the group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. Now, this is after the resurrection. So Jesus appeared to the guys again. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. And Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out. And fished through the night, but caught nothing. If you're a fisherman, you know how frustrating that can be. Go out all night long and not catch one thing. Verse 4, then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize that it was him. And he called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish that they couldn't even pull in the net. That's a pretty incredible story, miraculous story. By the way, the guys at that moment, I'm sure they're beginning to think, wait a minute, this sounds like, it's very familiar, a little deja vu happening here. Because you go back to Luke chapter 5, when Jesus encountered these guys early on, this is exactly what happened. Jesus said, hey guys, you've been fishing, any, any fish? No, we've been out here all night. Well, cast your nets on the other side. And a very similar thing happened uh, here in John 21 that happened in Luke chapter 5. 
Well, uh, John being the smartest guy, and the guy that wrote this gospel, obviously he said, verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. John's like, ding, 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 ding. We've been here, I know this, I, I know who that is, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard him say that, he quick, quickly wrapped around his, his outer garment around him and because he was athletic, and he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. And the other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They couldn't even pull in, and they're dragging it. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to the shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. Then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153. I don't know who had to count them, but 153. Even so, with so many fish, the net was not torn. Verse 12, come, let's have breakfast, Jesus said to them. I love this, guys. I'm not gonna spend much time hamping on this part, but Jesus, again, you just hear the compassion, the love in his heart. Hey, guys, let's, let's have breakfast. Let's break bread together. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. Now, by the way, people say, well, why didn't they recognize him even when they're sitting around the fire? Well, most assume and presume that Jesus, his his glorified body was different. He had the scars in his hands, scars in his side, but there was something unique and different about him. So they knew it was Jesus, but he wasn't exactly the same that he was before. But I love this story where we see these guys out fishing all night. Jesus cast, says, cast your nets on the other side. They catch the fish. Peter jumps in the water, swims to Jesus, and then Jesus has breakfast with these guys. And we'll pick it up, what happens there in just a moment, because you'll get to see what happened. Have you ever had one of those moments where you experience failure, and when you do, it's your, the shame because of that makes you want to avoid the people that you used to run into? Ever had one of those moments where something, whether you've been sinned against or you've sinned against them, or just the shame of the experience makes you uh, find it really difficult to be around the people, the person that you've let down, or the people that know your story and you feel shame around them? Jesus here does not bring shame into the situation, but what I love is that Peter jumps into the boat to Jesus. This guy who denied Jesus three times comes to Jesus. But often we struggle. Many years ago, I pastored a church in Portland, Oregon called Skyline Foursquare Church. And I uh, had a guy, uh, I don't know, about the year or two in, became a part of our church, a gifted uh, uh, guy, lots of, of uh, great abilities and skills, uh, appeared to have a great marriage and, and great family, um, actually ended up on our church board, but about two years later, it came out that he was uh, recovering, actually not at that point a recovering alcoholic, he was just an alcoholic, was struggling in his marriage, and in fact, uh, beat his wife up one night, got 911 called, and they took him off to jail. And I heard about all this happening, I tried to reach out to him, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. Why? Because he was, sh he was filled with shame, with regret over what had happened. And so I tried multiple times to get into this guy's world, to love him, to bring him back, and I didn't see him for the better part of another 18 months to two years. He didn't show up at, at Skyline at all, just didn't, never saw him. And finally he did, but I asked him, I said, man, I've missed you, I'm so glad you're back. And he says, it was just so hard because of the shame I felt over my sin. When we fail, when we've blown it, we tend to isolate ourselves all too often. And the memory of Peter's failure is still there. He hadn't forgotten what he's done. But this shows us, and this text shows us how we can find hope even in the midst of our darkest failure. There are three things I want to land on today. It's in the outline, the backside of your bulletin. Here's number one. First, you must understand that Jesus never gives up on you even if you've given up on him. 
Jesus never gives up on us. How do you find hope after a horrific failure, after something that just embarrasses the life out of you and makes you so frustrated? You realize that even in that moment, even in that experience, not one time does Jesus ever turn his back on you. Not one time does he walk away from you. Hebrews 13.5 says uh, that the God never forsakes us, never leaves us. And in fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And I love this verse. Paul said, he said to us, that even if you are disloyal and unfaithful, God stays faithful to us because he can't be anything else than what he is. Even when we are unfaithful, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm pretty sure 99.99999% of us can say, yep, I've been unfaithful, maybe this last week. I haven't been the best Christ follower, the best person, the best husband, the best wife, the best father, the best mother. I've been unfaithful. But that verse says, even when we are in our worst moment, God never, and you need to hear this. Some of you need to hear it profoundly this morning. God never turns his back on you. He never walks away from you. Why is that so hard for us to embrace and accept? Here's why. Because we humans, when someone fails us, what do we do? Boom! We reject them. When someone hurts us, we turn our back on them. And we humans expect rejection in the face of failure. And that's why it's really, really hard for us to wrap our head around, our heart around this reality that God never. Yeah, but, nope, there are no yes. Yeah, nope, there's no excuses. God never turns his back on you and me. He never looks at you and says, I'm done with you. Leave me, ever. You must understand that Jesus never gives up on you. If you're going to have any hope of hope, in the midst of your darkest failure, you've got to embrace this reality. Jesus is never going to turn his back on you. Here's the second thing. Number two, how do you find hope in the midst of your darkest failure? You come to Jesus as you are and let him embrace you in your brokenness. You come to Jesus as you are and you let him embrace you in your brokenness. I don't know where we got this crazy idea that we got to get everything fixed before we come to Jesus. I have talked to dozens, maybe 50, 60 mostly men in my experience in ministry. And here's what I often hear. Well, I'll come to Jesus. Yeah, I, I, one of these days, I gotta deal with this in my life first, and then maybe I'll come to God. Well, God wouldn't want me the way I am. And we have this mentality, this attitude that we've gotta get it all figured out before we come to Jesus. I love the picture of Peter jumping out of the boat. Now, doesn't that just sound like Peter? <laughs> and I'm sure the other guy's think, oh, great. He's leaving us with a the fish. There he goes again. And he's, you know, doing whatever it is, the backstroke or the breaststroke. He's on his way swimming to Jesus. But I love this picture of Peter realizing that, you know, I have failed him. I've miserably blown it. And Jesus knows it and I know it. But you see Pete jumping out of the boat going to Jesus nonetheless. God knows you better than you know yourself. That's a duh for a lot of us. But let me just remind you, every word, every thought, every action, everything you've ever done, anywhere, anytime. In fact, here's what gets really crazy. Not only what you've done, but what you're doing, and he knows what you're going to do. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows it all. And yet Jesus consistently says, would you just come to me? I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time today, but I want you to go to Hebrews 4 at some point this week. Just jot it down and read Hebrews 4 where it says that we can run to God's throne of mercy and find the grace we need to help us in our time of desperation, that we don't run from him, we run to him. And that's exactly what Peter did. Eugene Peterson, uh, a hero of the faith in my opinion, 
uh, a man that has written many books. I've read all of them, wrote the message translation. He went to be with Jesus on Monday. And I have a little personal story with Gene, which what I, I won't give you, but I did ask him to endorse my first book, Epic Grace, and uh, his, I got a letter from him. He doesn't use email. I got a letter from him. He says, I'm too busy to write endorsements, and I'm too old. You don't want me anyhow. And uh, it, was, it, it was a fun inter interaction. But anyhow, I, I, Eugene, Eugene Peterson uh, has written some stuff that profoundly has impacted my life. And he once said this, and I quote him. He said, all the persons of faith I know, listen, all the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, and uneven performers. <laughs> Me too. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. We are secure not because we trust in ourselves and our ability to get it done, clean it up, fix the mess we've created, but because we know that God is sure of us. He's never going to let us go. And he's always going to embrace us, even in the midst of our brokenness. Your messiest mess, your most broken moment, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it smells like, no matter what it feels like, it seems like, God says, just come to me. Jesus says, come to me. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to try and hide your shame. You don't have to live in hopelessness. Just come to me. A long time ago, it's hard to believe now, it's like 16, 17 years ago, I was on staff at Life Center. And uh, one Wednesday night, we had a prayer time, and after the service, uh, invited people to come forward for prayer. If they needed prayer, and I went down, and a young woman in her 20s, I'm going to say she's probably 25-ish, maybe, and uh, she came up, and, and I, I could tell that she was really hurting. And I just looked, I said, oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for letting me pray for you. How can I pray for you? And she started to cry, and she couldn't talk. And I gave her time, and I'm, I'm not intimidated by silence or tears, as you probably know. I just gave her some time. I said, it's okay, just when you're ready, you can tell me. And she tried to tell me she couldn't talk again. And then next thing she did, I, when I think about this, guys, I, get, I still get broken. I still get, my heart just aches for this girl. Now, good news is God did some amazing things in her life, but just the angst, the pain that she carried, she couldn't talk and she rolled up her sleeves and she showed me, I mean, dozens of scars on both forearms where she had cut herself. Now, I know there are lots of reasons for that and I, I'm, I'm no psychiatrist, psychologist, or therapist. But I do know this. People often do that because of self-hate, because of their own pain and their own suffering. And they're, in some ways, maybe punishing themselves or maybe trying to feel something. I don't know the why, but I knew this. She was broken. And I began to pray for her, and she just sobbed and sobbed and just shook. Her entire body shook as I'm praying for her. And then I had one of those God moments, one of those times where you just know you're saying something that's right from the Holy Spirit. And I stopped, and I said, look at me. And she looked up, and her face was a mess, and, you know, there's mascara everywhere, and she just is a, just a, a mess. And I looked her in the eye, and I said, sweetheart, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus was scarred so that you wouldn't have to be scarred. Jesus took the scars of shame so that you wouldn't have to. And that began a journey for her. And I can tell you, it was a journey, but God brought more healing and hope to her than she'd ever experienced in her life. She came to Jesus as she was, broken, a mess, and yet she came. You don't have to hide. One of the things that breaks my heart frequently is that I hear about so-and-so has left the church or so-and-so that hasn't been around for a while and it's because they failed, because they've messed up and they isolate and they run and they, we do the same thing Adam and Eve did. We're still doing it. We're still trying to cover our, our nakedness, trying to cover our shame. And you don't have to be that way. You can come to him. You can come to the body of Christ. You can come to the brothers and sisters of Jesus who will love you. You do not have to live in the shadow of shame anymore. Come 
to Jesus. Here's the third thing, number three. How do you deal with brokenness? How do you find hope in the midst of your darkest failure? Number three, you let go of your past and you press on to your future in Christ. You let go of your past and you press on to your future in Jesus. Now, I'm gonna admit to you, that could sound like a really nice religious phrase. Just let go, let go and let God. And some of you are like, if somebody ever says it to me again, I'm gonna hurt them. You know, I, I, I get that that's a, it can be received that way. But what I'm encouraging you, challenging you, begging you to do is you have to come to a place where not only do you realize that Jesus wants you, that he has called you, that he's never gonna give up on you, that he's always gonna embrace you in your brokenness, but at some point you have to say, okay, now it's time for me to take an inch a, a, a half step, a little bit of step, at least forward, where I'm beginning to let go of those things that have held me back for so long, and we press on into our future in Christ. Now, here's a reality. You will never forget. I don't, I don't know anyone, and if that's you, then boy, God gave, gave you a miracle of memory loss. But most of us remember, I remember quite well the sins of my past. I remember my, my failures I remember the things that I've done that caused so many others pain. I remember in my 20s when I walked away from Jesus and tried to walk away from my wife and my, my kids and how messed up I was. I remember those sins, but I don't carry the, the shame anymore. I don't carry the pain anymore of those things because I've now seen that there's a future and it always has been a future for me in Jesus. So, a guy in our church, this is, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, um, no, this, he, actually, this was, this was in this room, so it was less than that. But we'll call him Tony, not his real name. But uh, I watched him come, he and his wife, and be a part of our church, and they were actively here, and, and uh, I could see this guy was committed to Jesus and loved East Point, but never really got involved, not engaged, didn't really do anything. And uh, one day, I grabbed him and said, hey, uh, I want to hear your story. He goes, oh, I don't think you want to hear my story. I said, no, I really do. I love, hear, I love hearing people's stories. I said, like, that's great. Can I buy a cup of coffee? He said, all right. We got together at uh, Starbucks, and I began to ask him questions about, hey, tell me a little bit about this and that. And he said, well, you want it all? I said, yeah, man, just lay it out there. He said, well, let me tell you. Um, I was married uh, years ago. I got married to a, a, a woman who was as messed up as I was. Neither one of us knew Jesus. We were into all sorts of stupid things. Both of us came from dysfunctional families. Both of us had multiple affairs, even while we were married. He went on and on about their story. He says, to no one's surprise, not even mine, we ended up divorced. And he said, that was one of the darkest times of my life, but uh, I, I got even worse. He said, I ended up drinking I uh, ended up with not one, but two DUIs, and then I ended up in AA. And he says, and my sponsor in AA. So to this day, I will always be grateful because that guy asked me the question, do you want to hope? Do you want Jesus? He can help you. And I received Christ as my Savior and, be and began this journey, and I've been walking with Jesus for quite a while now. And then I met an, a Christian woman, and we began to date. And, and I'm giving you the paraphrased version of the story. He says, but we, we got, uh, we got uh, married, and uh, I was, grew up Lutheran, and she grew up Christ, Christian church. And so we decided we'd try some other church, and we went someplace together. And, and we started going there. And a few months in, the pastor did kind of what you're doing. He said, tell me a little bit about your story. And that's why it terrified me, Kurt, when you said, tell me your story. He said, well, we told him our story. And he said, well, you know what? This is what the pastor said for this church. I kid you not. It makes me mad. He said, well, you're, really, you're welcome to be a part of our church, but you'll never be able to serve here because you've been divorced. And he's starting to cry. So I just, and he says, I had no idea that my wife and I were living in sin. 
Boy, I pulled my Bible out and I went pastoral on him. Not postal, I went pastoral. I mean, I started showing him, I said, dude, let me, let me tell you what, let me declare on something. To begin with, whatever happened before you became a Christ follower is BC. It's before Christ. And you are new creation. None of that matters. I don't care if you had 10 wives and murdered 22 people. None of, what, it, it, you know, yeah, you're gonna, there's other consequences. <laughs> but I said, as far as being in Jesus and being involved in the church, you're, that's BC, that's all under the blood, man. It's done, you don't have to worry about that. And then I said, and furthermore, I said, God is so good and such a redemptive God is that even if we have current sin in our life, even if we have current failures in our life, which by the way, how many of you have current sin or failures in your life? Look around the room, every one of us do. I said, then God doesn't do the, use that in our, to disqualify us. He wants us, if we come to him, we surrender, we repent, we confess our sin. God says, okay, I can, I can work with that. I'm gonna, let's move forward now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't disqualify you with what God wants to do in your life. You can let go of your past and press on to your future in Jesus. Our challenge is we, wanna, we get stuck there, and we can't. We cannot dwell there and get stuck there. In fact, I'm going to give you a phrase I want you to remember. Jot it down if you're taking notes. The boundaries of your past don't have to be the horizons of your future in Jesus. The boundaries of your past, whatever they are, whatever that looks like, Whatever box you think you've put God in or put yourself in, the boundaries of your past never in Jesus have to be the horizons of your future. Let's go back to John 21. John 21, verse 15. It says, after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? And the these I think he's referring to are more than the rest of these guys who Peter had said, I will never deny you even if everyone else runs away from you, I never will. But we don't know for sure. But Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Verse 16, Jesus repeated this, his question to this, the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Now, by the way, I don't think Jesus is angry, mad, trying to shame Peter. I think he's trying to reveal a broken piece of Peter's heart that needed to be healed. And Simon says, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Oh, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time. He said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. What I want you to see here is Jesus did not say, Peter, do you promise to never screw up again? That's what I would ask. If I'm gonna entrust this guy with ministry and taking care of my sheep. I'm Jesus, and I want you to take care of my sheep, my lambs. I want you to take care of my flock. But I'm gonna say, dude, did you learn your lesson? I, I hope you figured out how stupid you were and that you are no longer gonna go down that path because for heaven's sakes, how many? That would have been me. Jesus asked one question, and I am a thousand percent sure it was done with compassion and care and gentleness and great love for Peter. He said, Pete, do you love me? Do you love me? The one question, the only question, listen, the only question that ever matters is do you love him? Yeah, but I've, doesn't matter. Yeah, but, doesn't matter. You don't know, I don't, but, and, and, and God does, but it doesn't matter. The one question Jesus asked is do you love me? And if you do, then let's move forward. Take care of my sheep. I'm gonna finish with one story, then we're gonna have a, a ministry time this morning. And I'm, I'm really good on time, but I want you just to listen. 
I'm going to paraphrase it, actually. It's found in Luke. In fact, it's a great story found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, the last half of Luke 7. But let me just paraphrase the story. Jesus is invited by a guy named Simon, a Pharisee, to come to his house for dinner. Jesus went, and he's there uh, with the guys and reclining at the table, as they would do in that culture, and eating. And all of a sudden, the Scripture says here, Luke records that a sinful woman, uh, a prostitute, a woman who gained her, 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 her uh, what, everything she had through uh, a sinful way of life. Shows up, she crashes the party. Let me make clear, you know, that you, clear that you understand this. Simon did not invite this woman to show up. And it was completely off, you know, uh, the charts, ridiculous that she would even crash this party. But she comes in. She's desperate to come to Jesus. And she kneels at his feet, and her, it says that her tears are so pronounced so many of them that she's washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and then drying the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, that a woman would touch a rabbi, Jesus, in public, big taboo. That a woman would have her hair down was pretty another indication. This is a, a, a woman who sold her body to make a living. And she's washing the feet of Jesus with her tears, drying with her hair, and then she pulls out an alabaster bath, a, a flask of, of oil. Expensive. Very costly. By the way, undoubtedly, what she, a bottle of perfume that she bought with money that she, she earned from selling her body, that she earned as a prostitute. She takes that and she pours it over the feet of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. What does Simon do? The religious guy. The guy who thought so highly of himself. He said, oh, he's thinking, if Jesus was a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman this is. And Simon's disgusted. He's absolutely put off by this. Jesus, knowing what Simon is thinking, I love that, he begins to unpack a story for Simon. So, Simon, let me tell you a story. Simon says, tell me, Lord. Tell me, Rabbi. And Jesus said, well, there's a guy that owed someone 100,000, and, and he owed another, another guy that owed the same lender 10,000. But the lender decided to forgive both those debts. The guy who owed 100,000, the guy who owed 10,000, decided just to wipe the slate clean. He said, Simon, which of those two people do you think love that lender more? And Simon says, well, duh. I'm paraphrasing. Duh, the guy who owed 100000 And Jesus said, that's right. This woman has been forgiven much. She loves much. Simon, you didn't even greet me with a, with a, with a hug, with a, with a common courtesy. You didn't wash my feet or offer anything to me as I came in. But this woman has not stopped doing so from the moment she came into my presence. What I need you to see this morning is that Jesus embraced her, accepted her right where she was. He never turned his back on her. He knew exactly what she was and what her life had been. And, and what he said to her next is so profound. I want you to read the story on your own later today. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You can go in peace. And the people around thought, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? Jesus said, yeah, you're clean. You're forgiven. You can go in peace. Here's the thing, and I want you to show Rick Warren quote something I'm going to finish with this morning. In fact, it's one of my favorite statements Rick ever made. Anybody can bring good out of good. Only God brings good out of bad. Anybody can bring good out of good. Only God brings good out of bad. That's what he does. That's what he did in Peter's experience. That's what he did in the simple woman's experience. And that's what he wants to do in you. The antidote the shattered past is a surrendered heart. The antidote 
to finding hope in the midst of whatever you're dealing with right now. Simply coming to Jesus. Peter jumped over the side of the boat and came to Jesus. This woman broke the party uninvited and came to Jesus. The antidote to, to shattered, shattered soul and shattered heart, shattered hope in your life is to come, to surrender your life to him. All right, so let me pray for you. Jesus, there's a lot of us who don't have to think very hard or very long about the stupid things we've done or about the sinful, horrible things that have been done against us. Maybe we were doing our best, but someone hurt us profoundly, deeply. Or maybe we just went sideways, Lord, and we, we've made the mess. We, we created a situation. Lord, there's a lot of us that Maybe it's not as personal for us right now, but we can think of people around us that we think are hopeless. We've given up on them. We look at a son, a daughter, a spouse, a parent, a friend, and we just think they're hopeless. There's no way. But Jesus, <laughs> your specialty is redemption, restoration, and renewal. It's what you do best. And all you ask of us, all you want of us, is a surrendered heart. That we would simply bring our brokenness to you, our pain to you, and we would say, Lord, here I am. And that you would touch us, change us, transform us, and breathe hope into our souls. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. Today's the day that you can begin a brand new life. Maybe you've tried to figure out how to do this thing called life on planet Earth by yourself and you realize, man, I, I just keep messing up. There's just no way I can do this. And maybe you've been hopeless. Maybe you've struggled and you're at a place where you realize today, I know I need a Savior. I, I've sinned. I've blown it. I need hope. And today, today's the day where you can begin a brand new life doesn't solve every problem you've had. It doesn't fix every issue you're dealing with right now. But it gives you the answer. Jesus. It gives you hope. Jesus. In the midst of whatever you're facing. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. But I want you to make this prayer yours right now. Jesus, I come to you desperate for hope. Desperate for new life. Desperate to, to embrace the grace and the mercy that you offer. I get it. You love me. I don't understand how or why, but I, I believe you love me. And I believe that you died for my sins and I believe that you live now for me. And so right here, right now, I'm gonna choose to live my life from here into eternity for you. Today, I choose to follow you. Today, I embrace what you did for me. If that's you in your own way, just say, yeah, God, that's my heart. And that moment you say yes to him, it's the beginning. But a lot of other people here today, and some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but we've been wrestling with hopelessness. And in just a moment, here's what we're gonna do, guys. Look at me. And I'm dead serious about this. Some of you came here this morning, and you weren't really sure what God was gonna do, what was gonna happen. But what he wants to do right now is gonna be far more profound than anything else that could happen for you today, is that you can have a transforming encounter with him.